Welcome to episode four of the podcast known as Piercing the Veil with me, Robin Pierce. And me, Stephen Pierce. Well, Steve, what a nifty new um, opening theme we've got. We've wanted an opening theme, and now we've got one. I love it. Well, it sounds kind of mysterious, a little bit sci-fi, a little bit what is out there. Otherworldly. Otherworldly. I've never heard us described better. Exactly. So that's our new theme uh, music, uh, all royalty free. So if you're thinking of suing us or threatening suing us, you can't. Because you're out of luck. You are plum out of luck, son. Right, Steve. What a week we've had. It's been a, it's been one of for the ages. It's been week. a good week. It's been a good week. Um, hopefully, this week people will be able to hear you. Yes. Because that's been a problem. This is <laughs> this is week four. Yeah. We've been doing this for a month, and believe it or not, we are on microphone number three. They say three times the charm, so hopefully. Hopefully people can hear you this week, because you tend to be soft-spoken. And I don't know where you get this from, because I, your doting father, uh, have been known to be able to project my voice. Uh, Your mother can be a bit shrill at times, and there's no trouble hearing her. But your sister, she's just plain loud. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but you came out sort of soft-spoken. But I sound delightful. Yeah, if anybody would like to comment on that, put something on the Facebook page for us. The sad story of the microphones is when when I decided that we were going to do this podcast, um, I thought, all right, we need a microphone. Obviously. So I went on to Amazon and I, I bought a fairly expensive microphone. And we recorded that, and some people said, we can't really hear Steve. And a a good friend of ours, Alex Lefchuk from Siren FM, said, Steve needs his own microphone. And I thought, oh, okay, did not know that. So I went back on Amazon, and I bought a second microphone. Now, episode two, that microphone worked great. Yeah, I'm not too sure... What went wrong there? You had yours, I had mine, nothing went wrong. Week three, which is last week, you may have noticed, listeners, that I sounded a little bit frazzled. That's because we had trouble setting up both microphones. Yeah. The computer would only recognise one of them at a time, despite having a split USB, which I thought would cure everything. So we were back down to using one microphone. And I felt it sounded a little bit tinny, a little bit watery at times. So we had a word with a good friend of ours. And, you know, the the maestro of the written word for Starburst, head writer Paul Mount, who, along with Scott Holmes, does the TV Zone Plus podcast. Yes, they do. And I asked him, what do you guys use? And he said, oh, well, an omnidirectional mic. I thought, I'm sure one of ours is. But, of course, 
No. I, As luck would have it, no. I just presumed that they were all some kind of omnidirectional mic. Well, they were sensitive, but they they weren't quite sensitive enough. No. So if they were pointed more to you than me, they'd pick you up. If they directed more towards me than you, they hadn't an Ice Cube's chance in hell of hearing you. Yeah. So hopefully... That is now sorted. Now, speaking of Paul Mount, uh, let's give a big shout-out to him. Because he is of an age tomorrow. Yes, a big age. Of the 6-0 age. So, happy birthday, birthday. Paul. Um, We are glad to have been able to go down to Cardiff to celebrate with you, albeit a little bit early, and have a day of... Absolute geek nirvana. I had no idea there were so many geek stores in Cardiff. I had no idea Cardiff was that cool. It's given Cardiff a new lease of life. It has. Easily. We're going to go down there yeah. again. Um, shout out to the comic book guru yes. in the Queen's Arcade, where I bought a magnificent model of uh, the Battlestar Galactica. It really is. Classic version, classic 1978. Not the reimagined series, which was the same shape, but didn't have that level of exquisite detail. I thought they were the same thing. Leave the room. Well, I did to begin with, and then found out they weren't, so... Put your shame boy base on. I don't have one. Put your shame voice on. I'm incapable. Hang your head in shame. Oh, I can't do that. Hang your head. Go on. Down it goes. Down it goes. All right. There we are. Um, but when we were down in Cardiff, uh, we it was a day of geekdom. Yes. There were there were three grown men in Cardiff who didn't do a single adult thing between them all day. Agreed. Other than make sure that we ate a meal. Yeah. Yeah. And at one stage, we were honoured to be actually interviewed for the TV Zone Plus podcast. I never thought we'd be interviewed for anything. Well, I've been writing for magazines um, for, good Lord, about 13 years. I've done lots of media interviews with actors, directors, special effects people this and that I have never actually been interviewed I've been the interviewer never the interviewee it was it was strange um I don't know when that podcast is coming out but within the space of one week I will have been on four podcasts that's incredible um because there's Paul and Scott's TV Zone Plus there is uh, the Midweek Drive, which I have a spot on with Alex Lechuk over there on Siren FM. And I believe also on Wednesday night, we're recording the Stone Tapes with David J. Howe, Sam Stone, Patricia H. Ash, George Mann, and my good self. Yes. A monthly digest of all that's good, cool, and quirky in the geek world. So, 
one of the things that came up in this interview was out of the blue and with no prior warning, Paul asked me four, uh, sorry, five, no, no, three. no, no, three. I'm going to get this right eventually. Three top films. And it was like instant. And I was surprised with what I came out with. Now, there's there's a school of thought that says your sort of instantaneous, instinctive answer, without thinking about it, is your most truthful yeah. answer. And my answer surprised me, because I gave them in order. Now, if you'd, if you'd always asked me, you know, what was your favourite film? I'd always say, oh, Star Wars. That's been my answer since 1977. Yeah. And then I'll fumble and think about the rest. And some make it into the list. Some are dropped from the list. The list changes. Um, but without time to think about it, I said, you know, in order, King Kong, Star Wars, Forbidden Planet. See, I'm surprised that... I shouldn't be surprised, but F Forbidden Planet... I. I never really considered that one, somehow, in the top three. I hadn't. It's a film I love dearly, and I, I watch practically every year. Um, King Kong is a landmark film for me, because it was the film that, when I saw it eight years old, um, kind of made me interested in monster movies, how they were made, how the effects were achieved... I didn't care, because it was 1968. We didn't even have a colour TV. So the fact that it was black and white meant nothing to me. No. Everything was black and white. Um, but to to actually come up with that as my top film, influential as it has been, knocking Star Wars into second place, yeah. that was a big, big surprise. And then when I just thought, you know, I'm off the hook... He asked me again, top three television shows. And it was, again, and it was Twilight Zone, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Big Bang Theory. And I thought, what? Twilight Zone number one, absolutely, unquestionably. I'm talking about the original yeah. black and white series with Rod Serling here. Unquestionably, since I first saw it around a time when the BBC showed the uh, first season when the movie came out in 1983, yes, because of its amazing range of stories and how well-written they were. I, I think they only made one really bad episode, and that was Four Characters in Search of an Exit, yeah. which we won't go into now because... Ugh. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we watched that as a family, and yes, I, I, I love that series. I, I love everything about it. I can't actually think of a bad episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's probably... It has to be in my most watched series of all time. Could well I be. Have to have Could at well least be. seen it three or four times by now. Um, but much as I have loved The Big Bang Theory, I never thought it would be in my top three. No. Because when I gave that top three, again, without thinking it through... Um... The big question for me was, hang on, where's Star Trek? Star Trek has always been there. It was my top series of all time, up until I saw The Twilight Zone. 
I think with Star Trek, because from what you've just said, with Twilight Zone, it had one bad episode. Buffy was flawless. Yeah. Big Bang Theory, pretty much flawless. Yeah. Star Trek, for me, unless it's Captain Kirk or Captain Jean-Luc Picard... It's Jean, Jean, not John. Jean-Luc Picard. You know, he's not, he's not John from the chippy. He's Jean-Luc. If, uh, or if you're, you know, ignorant, it's Jean Luck. It, Hello, it's Jean Luck Picard here. But unless it's those two captains, my interest in the series just wanes. Like Bruce. Yeah, pretty much. No love for Deep Space Nine. It's alright, I guess. No love for Voyager. I did like Voyager. No love for Enterprise. I never made it through. No, we we didn't make it through that. But we do have them on DVD and we're still waiting to watch them because we're working our way through every Trek ever made. Now, you, sir, bought Star Trek Discovery on Blu-ray in Cardiff. Yes. So, you bought that sight unseen? I'd seen, I think, three episodes on Netflix. Yeah. Wasn't too happy with the look of the Klingons. Why not? I I haven't actually made it that far. I remember watching the first episode, um, but I... I don't know what happened after that. Because I, I did like how it opened and the, the two characters on this like desert-like planet um, walked the shape of the Star yeah. Trek, you know, sorry, Starfleet, um, you know, the flying V. Um, and then you get the starship crashing through the clouds. I thought that was really good. But then I, I can't remember really much about the rest of the episode. The, the Klingons... They seem to appear more like similar to Barlow from uh, Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot, really? Not Ken Barlow from Coronation no, Street. No. Okay. They, They're not they, smug, and you want to punch him in the face no. just for opening their mouth. Okay. But I can't see how they'd go from the Klingons in Discovery to Worf, for example. I find it hard to see how that. Did they ever? Did we ever find out how they are kind of like swarthy, greasy, and dirty looking in Star Trek, and they have that immense sort of bone structure on their foreheads from Star Trek the motion picture? Yeah. Straight on. Did they ever explain what happened? Because I remember we've finished watching all of Star Trek Next Generation. And um, I, somebody says something like, you know, what happened to your foreheads? And we don't like to talk about it, I think was the, yeah. the explanation. So did did we ever find out what happened in their evolutionary cycle to bring along a pasty on your forehead? Well, from the looks of it, in Discovery, yes, they didn't appear, from what I can remember, because it's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah. They didn't have the pasty kind of head thing. What did they have? Pretty much looked like, I don't know, not a tart. A nice Victoria sponge. And it's set before original Star Trek, before Enterprise. Oh. 
But that ship looked so sleek. But Shouldn't I, it have looked clunkier? I could be remembering this wrong. Yeah. Well, actually, I... Steve made a discovery in HMV where Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, not Steve's Discovery, Steve's Discovery of Discovery, um, they were in clearance stock and marked remarkably cheap. So they had three copies there and you, me and Paul actually bought one each. So sorry people of Cardiff, if you're looking for cheap Star Trek Discovery on blue in HMV, they all came back north with us. Um, right, let's turn this on its head. Okay. What were your three favourite movies, and why? And were you surprised with any of them? I really was. The tough one, I wasn't surprised about at all in Jurassic Park. No, no, you you loved dinosaurs as a child. That has been the number one... It, it always has been, it always will be. Okay. I didn't see Destroy All Monsters coming. The 1968 Godzilla classic. But come to think about it, we had that on videotape. Back in the day, we yeah. had that on VHS, yeah. And every morning, pretty much before school, I would be playing <laughs> that movie. And it would always stop where Mothra in lava form was on a monorail, come oh, through a building, yeah. and have to stop it there, and then have to watch the rest after school. I, I don't know why I like that movie so much, because... It just hit a nerve. Yeah. And the third one... I, I It makes sense that it's there. But 1931 Frankenstein? Yeah, the Karloff. I've watched that movie so many times, but I really didn't think they made that much of an impression... And I prefer Karloff's performance to of the Frankenstein monster compared to Christopher Lee's, which is a bit nastier. Yeah, he's more ferocious than Karloff. Karloff was more childlike yeah. and portrayed suffering just through his eyes, didn't he? And I loved the Frankenstein's laboratory because of all the sparks and... Oh, how, a health and safety nightmare. It, it was a nightmare, but every Frankenstein I've seen since then... Yeah. That's what I've wanted to see. Ah. That kind of lab, but it's always kind of scaled back, scaled back. I'm just not interested. Um, Hammer came close to that kind of lab in Evil of Frankenstein, yeah. 1964, which, interestingly... Um, was financed and distributed by Universal. Okay. That's why they had New New Zealand wrestler Kiwi Kingston in that sort of square yeah. head. But it looked a lot cheaper than the Karloff uh, version, where the makeup was designed by a genius called Jack P. Pierce. Sadly, no relation. I checked. Oh. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah. Our one cool relative... Yeah, that would have been a cool relative. That'd have been an iconic relative. Absolutely. So then you were asked, Steve, your favourite T V series. Were there any surprises there? Lost in Space I wasn't surprised about at all. Now original Lost in original, Space, not the Netflix one. Original the Netflix doesn't count, it never existed. Okay. It just never happened. Um I, I love, you know, Doctor Zachary Smith, Robot B nine. Yeah, the fact that 
you know, Will in one episode gets a choice of anything in the world. Oh, the wish machine. Yeah. And he can have anything he wants. And what does he want, Steve? One apple. An apple. He he could have been sent home and all he wanted was an apple. He could have got an apple off the ship. Yeah. He could have saved his entire family. Yeah. But all he wanted was an apple. And plus, you know, they give away most of their ship's equipment. Choke on it, you little yeah. prick. <laughs> <laughs> my second one was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, that kind of surprised me. I really wasn't. Because I have such fond memories of the videotapes. Yeah. And it's a series that since having it on DVD, I've probably gone through it now about four times. Really? Yeah. And I had major difficulty with season four. When I first saw it. Yes, you did. Because the Scooby gang had broken up. Everybody had gone in their own separate directions. And I I didn't like it, I thought. But that's what happens in real life. Yeah. When you leave school, some people leave town, some people stay in town, some people get dead-end jobs, some people get better jobs. Everybody goes their own way. But you'll find that people kind of eventually come back together as well. And I I thought that was... It was strange. It was poignant. And and it was... To me, it was realistic. But until I actually went to college and, you know, I saw that still in single figures, I had to be when you saw it on videotape. Um, We first got the videotapes your mother bought me season one as a 40th birthday yeah. present and uh that would be the year 2000 because yeah. i'm 59 now so how old were you in 2000 you were nine yeah yeah but i remember you know having seen season four yeah before going to college did not get it did not make any sense to me Okay. Having watched it after college, it's like, this is genius. All of it is genius. Yeah. And every season of that is really strong. It is. The one that kind of surprised me, but it really shouldn't have, was the third one being Batman the Animated Series. From 1992. Yeah. It really shouldn't have you know, surprised me, but... Yep. That is the TV series by which every other animated TV series should be measured yes. for greatness. It's just perfect. Because I remember, you know, we hadn't seen it in years, and they had in Portali the Joker and Batman animated figures. Oh, yeah. And I thought, I will buy those for sentimental old-time sake. These weren't the the toys that came out when you were small and we we used to buy them for your Christmas birthdays or, you know, just for being good or just to shut you the hell up. Um, These were the collector's figures and their, like, stands and, yeah, that, that came out. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah, and I thought, okay, I'll buy those two. I'll leave it then, because I've bought two sentimental reasons 
great. Okay. Yeah. What happened th then, Steve? Yeah, then I've pretty much bought the entire set, and I'm on figure thirty-five now. You've got thirty-five of them. Yeah. Oh boy. But at least they have bases. Yes, which is apparently something you're not going to get with the next wave. And of course, the series itself. Yeah. We had them. We we bought them for about seven pounds when you had two episodes. Yeah. On one tape. And we we bought all the ones we could find. And then we. We got hold of DVDs of the first two seasons. Yeah. Had to get some region free copies. Well, no, they were marked region one, but they were region free because they were Warners. And yes. Warners lie. And then we bought the um, the Blu ray remastered, yeah. and they are exquisite. Exactly. Uh, almost as exquisite as the remastered Lost in Space yes. that we're working our way through right now. Which, incidentally, was a series that first introduced me to, to sci-fi when I was about five or six. See, with Lost in Space, I could follow those sci-fi stories without any problem. Yeah. Star Trek, it took me ages to actually like Star Trek. I was, I think, about nine when I first saw Star Trek in the spot that had just been vacated by Doctor Who on a Saturday night, and I couldn't make head nor tail out of it. Because, you know, now I love, you know, Kirk, Spock, McCoy. Yeah. But seeing them the first time, I don't understand any of this. Um, right, let's move on. I want to give one more shout-out, being that we're on a shouty-outy kind of kick tonight. Okay. I had no idea how far this little podcast of ours is listened to. And somebody got in touch just before we started recording, asking when episode four is due out. You know, it's not like you have to listen, uh, wait, wait a very long time, because we do these weekly. Yeah. So... Sean Myberg out there in Qatar in the Middle East. This is episode four, yes. and we are dedicating this to yourself and your lovely wife out there in the Middle East. Live long and prosper, my friend. Um, trailer Park. Yes. We've seen some pretty strange trailers. Well, I have seen one, and you've caught one that yes. I haven't seen yet. So, talk us through Doctor Sleep. Doctor Sleep? For me, um, having seen the trailer for It Part 2, yeah, it was okay, but I, I don't know, I'm... After seeing Pet Cemetery, I'm kind of concerned where this is going to go. That's the latest Pet Cemetery, yeah. not the classic one. Um, on the on the other hand, with Doctor Sleep, it looks like it's more following the Stanley Kubrick. Oh, well, it, it it's hard to kind of yeah, describe it. Yeah, it is. Um, I've seen. A screenshot. Yeah. And uh, there's... The screenshot I saw was... 
like a, a remake of the one of the Overlook Hotel sequences. Yes. I've got the same carpet, and you know, there's a kid on a tricycle, and yeah, it does look eerily similar. Um, Doctor Sleep is Stephen King's follow-up novel to The Shining, which follows uh, Danny Torrance in later life. Now, I've bought the book, but for some reason, I never read it. It's still right yeah. up there on my shelf, and I'm looking at it right now. Uh, when I bought it, I thought, it's been years since I read The Shining. Maybe to get the most out of this, I should reread The Shining, but I never got round no. to it. And then King bought out another book, and I still haven't got round to it. Um, I'm determined that it doesn't go the way of Dreamcatcher, which I've tried many times. I can't get more than about 50 pages in. Um, the film came out. The film came out on DVD, and that was about 12 years yeah. ago. And it's still in its cellophane because I don't want to watch it till I've read the book. Um, so, Doctor Sleep, are we going to like this? I think we are because Stephen King has actually given it his seal of approval. Which is amazing because Stephen King is an outspoken critic of the Stanley Kubrick version of The Shining. Here's the thing, though. I haven't read The Shining, so other than the Stanley Kubrick version, I have no idea what's different. Well, Stanley Kubrick made his version of a Stephen King story. And that's all well, fine and good, because, you know, he's Stanley damn Kubrick. He can do pretty much whatever he wants. The problem is he left out a lot of the key sequences of the book. Now, later on, much as we, we like that yeah. film, it's a good Stanley Kubrick film, not that good a Stephen King adaptation. Jack Nicholson does an amazing job on it, but the main focus, the main thrust, is um, Jolly Jack's descent into madness. Yeah. Because with most... Jack Nicholson films, you're just waiting for the volatility to take off. Now, they did another version of Salem's Lot as a made-for-TV two- or three-part special. I think it was two parts. Salem's Lot. No, 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 no. no. Oh, sorry, I meant to say The Shining. And that was far, far better. It was a far more faithful adaptation, and I found it kind of gave me the creeps a lot more. Now, they they adapted Salem's Lot for TV, and that was in 1979, directed by Toby Hooper, and it's a very, very watered-down version of the book. Yeah. But I've always found it really effective. It's a classic vampire movie in a small town, and I love that version. I was aware that they'd made another version which, again, like The Shining, was supposed to be closer to the book. But when we watched that last summer, I really didn't care for it. But the one thing I will say with Doctor Sleep yeah. is they showed the teaser poster. And a lot of the posters that are coming out now, I really do not like because they're just photoshopped. They've got nothing about them that's interesting. Okay. Because... We love the Avengers movies. Yeah. What was Tony Stark doing on the Infinity War poster that was kind of like something from the 70s? Where he's kind of... Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, he was he was like um, practically spread eagles, wasn't he? Like something out of yeah. that Da Vinci thing. Um, Whereas the poster for the Doctor Sleep movie, yeah, it was just of a cracked wall with right. the word Red Rum. Ah. And that's all you get. Red rum. Yeah. Red rum. Red rum. Um, the other trailer we've seen is for the banana splits. Yes. What the actual hell? The banana splits, as we all know, was a live action Hanna Barbera series from the late sixties. Uh, known for an annoyingly catchy um, theme song, uh, covered memorably by the Dickies. Yes. Which uh, I think that featured on the Kick-Ass soundtrack. Um, You had a dog, Flegel. You had a lion called Drooper. You had Bingo on drums, who was a gorilla, and you had Snork, who played keyboards and was a spotted elephant. And they were men in costumes. Yeah. And they would introduce uh, comedy sketches, um, some jokes, uh, and the Three Musketeers uh, cartoon. And there was an Adventure Island, I think it was called, live action serial in the middle there somewhere. And it was all really funky and psychedelic. It was real 60s kind of stuff. And even watching it a few years ago, I was thinking, my God, it was like, you know, Hanna-Barbera on acid. Yeah. And it lasted, I think, a season. It was played here on the BBC till uh, the Cartoon Network got hold of all of Hanna-Barbera's content. And when you were very small, about four or five, we actually sat through an entire day's marathon of these episodes. I, I couldn't even see straight by the end of it. Uh, about ten days later, I was still stumbling along Going tra la 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 tra la 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 la. All right, we better stop there before we get copyright. Anyway, they've made a film of the banana splits, except it's a horror movie, and the MPAA in America, the motion picture, you know, certification people, have given it a restricted. Certificate. See, that's almost unheard of these days for a movie to get that certificate. But the banana splits. Yeah. I I I I, I don't get it. I'm, the banana splits are now a horror movie, and from what we've seen of the trailer, um, their show is coming to an end. I think it's set back in '69. Yeah, it looks like it. And the banana splits themselves seem to be um, Terminator-like yeah. killer robots um, covered in, in fur. And I don't know if they're going to go after the child audience or, or what, but they've got glowing red eyes. And apparently the, the film itself is actually pretty gory. I really want to see it. 
I really want to see it. It's being shown um, on Sci-Fi in the USA, but it's already been announced that it will have a streaming and um, DVD release. So we are definitely going to be up for that. That that would be a purchase. That'd be a day one purchase. But <laughs> I, I still can't believe banana splits in a horror movie. Yet the kind of horror show that they did, Scooby Doo, yeah. is always presented in live action form as being a comedy. Why don't they make, you know, a really down and nasty Scooby Doo movie? Why don't they then make the Scooby Doo on Zombie Scooby Doo meets Nosferatu? Yeah. Or why don't they make Scooby Doo on Zombie Island live action? Because if they remake that, I mean, people will still be going on like, oh, it's old man Wilson, the caretaker. If it wasn't for you nosy kids, I'd have gotten away with it. Oh, something like that. But they were real. Were they? Yeah. A live action Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. It's been yes. years since. You were about 10 when I watched that last. That's 10? I can't remember. Wow. You're a child. Last time I watched it was last year. Really? Yeah. I wasn't invited. Why have you got it on disc then? Yeah. I was sure that it was VHS that I saw it on last. I've got it on DVD. Oh. Have you always had it on DVD or did you have the VHS? I had it on VHS. It was one from KFC. We didn't have the a DVD in this house until 2002. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Um, But, you know, I was thinking... A Hanna-Barbera sort of creation where a band, um, whether they are replaced by these killer robots or whether they've always been killer robots, we don't know. But it's hardly a new idea because Hanna-Barbera have gone down this road before with a live-action movie. Oh, you're not going to. I'm going to. Don't. I'm going to. Kiss me, the Phantom. Oh, no one wants to hear about that movie. It's just (laughs) awful. When Kiss ruled the world, baby. <laughs> they should be ashamed of themselves. They, in 1977, they, there was a film of the week in America called Kiss Meet the Phantom, where Kiss were superheroes as they had been portrayed in two Marvel super specials, number one and number five. And uh, they possessed these talismans, and uh, they became superheroes, you know, the Star Child, yeah. Demon, Catman, Spaceman, and Catman. And um, uh, that was how they were portrayed in the film. You know, the band were there. Peter Chris wouldn't turn up for looping, so that wasn't his voice. At one point during a fight, uh, Ace Fraley was replaced by Black Stunt Double. But you see, by the hands. Exactly. It's this is in no way a racist remark. It's just bad continuity. Yeah, and um, it was filmed in Magic Mountain, the amusement park, where they gave a free concert. And of course, um, uh, Anthony Zerb played uh, Abner Ravenwood, the uh, creator of the rides. Yeah, who was going to replace Kiss with evil robot versions, having got rid of the real good kiss. Oh. 
Just, oh. It took me ages to see that film. Uh, finally, I, I got a, a VHS copy of it. It's on DVD now. And it's no worse than some of the films that Elvis Presley made at the height of his fame. Because there's that... Um, it's not as bad as Yellow Submarine, which the Beatles made. Uh, there's that Evil Knievel movie? Uh, not the George Hamilton um, biopic. You're talking about Viva Knievel. Yeah. With, with the real Evil Knievel. Um, sneaking into an orphanage through the window at night to give yeah. the kids toys of himself. Yeah. That, that was bad. <laughs> that was just bad. Speaking of Evil Knievel, in the upcoming Toy Story, they've got a uh, like an Evil Knievel doll. Yeah. I'm loving that idea. Especially where he introduces himself and gives his name of Duke Kaboom. I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm sure I've read this. Do you know who's actually voicing Duke Kaboom? Well, it's not Evil Knievel because he died of hepatitis, poor soul. You're going to be surprised. Go on, then. Keanu Reeves. Wow. Okay, now I am surprised. I, I'm sure I've read that he's the one that's voicing Duke Kaboon. Because wasn't um yeah, um Timothy Dalton was um The Hedgehog. Mis- yeah, Mr. Prickles. Yes. <laughs> we are looking forward to, to Toy Story. And didn't you have um Michael Keaton as Ken? You did. You did, yes. Right, Steve. You have got a little bit of Game On news for us with Resident Evil 2. That game, is, it's, it's widely considered one of the greatest horror games ever released. Whoa, 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 widely considered? Didn't it just come out? No. Oh, okay. Were you not on the ball with this one? Actually, I was. Okay. Back in the... Days of PS1, which I... Back I'm, in the days of PS1... Pull up a sandbag. Me. Oh, pull up a sandbag and tell us about the war, Grandad. I Put consi- on your old tin hat. I consider that the golden age of gaming. <laughs> it, it just is. It's like the greatest... For me, that's where it all started. <laughs> the golden age yeah. of gaming was PS1. Yeah. And everything since then has been, oh, it's been poor. <laughs> oh, kind of. Um, I remember I was about 11, 12 when I had the first PS4. I remember when I was a lad. We had real bread, yeah. real butter, and on PS1 we had real games. Not like what you play these days with your download streaming nonsense that you never actually own. Sorry, do carry on. I, I remember the two... Uh, Steve's lost it. Um, normal service will soon be resumed. The two first horror games I ever had on PS1 Yeah. were Evil Dead, Hail to the King. Okay. Voiced by Bruce Campbell. Right. And Resident Evil 2. Okay. Then what they've done is they've actually remade that PS1 game. Why would they remake a game? Better AI, better graphics, better pretty much everything. Okay. 
So they haven't just taken the same old game and slapped no. it on the disc and said, there you go. No. This has been... They haven't done a George Lucas on us. No. Okay. It's what you played before, but it's been basically done to today's... Enhanced. Yeah. Okay. We'll go with enhanced. But I didn't realise just how nasty a game was. Possibly it's because they've added it in this time and they couldn't have done it back then. But say, for example, you shoot a zombie in the head like you would. Of course, that's what they're for. The reaction that they'll have is the head will suddenly jolt backwards. They'll look back With the down. impact. Yeah. They'll look back down. Yeah. And whatever you've shot on their face, a part of that face will be missing. Okay. So if you shot them in the mouth, yeah. part of the side of their face will have gone, right. showing the skull and blood will start coming down. Okay. And these are the proper zombies that, you know, they walk, they don't run, they're not... Mass groups of them. <laughs> There's one thing that we don't like, folks. It's sprightly zombies. We don't we don't like them spry. But if you have zombies that run, and this this gets on my nerves. If they run, yeah, they're not exactly scary. They're just feral. Years ago, I wrote some spec film scripts. Yes. One of which was called The Infected. And I had a zombie run in that. Basically, um, I don't want to give too much of the game away because I might still do something with this. Um, Something gets into people's blood and it starts to deteriorate them from the inside and they become kind of zombie-like. I had a scene where a zombie was chasing after somebody and as as he was running... His legs were literally falling apart underneath him. Wow. Yeah. I've tried it in the... I would love to see that. (laughs) I've tried it in the past. um, Games that have multiple zombies on screen. They have hundreds of them. It's impressive to look at. Yeah. It's not scary. What do you mean it's not scary? Because usually, because of how many they have on screen... Yeah. Actually killing is it because you know they're not there. They're just on a screen. All you've got to do is look away. Pretty much. Would and you be p- able to play this Resident Evil Two game with your VR headset on? Oh, this is what I'm getting to. Okay. This is the build-up. All right. Because I do have Resident Evil Biohazard ready for the VR, which I'll be talking about as soon as I've finished this game. Okay. Because there's a game that you wanted me to play with you. Oh, Rush of Blood. Rush of Blood. Oh, we don't talk about that. Now, let me explain this. Steve wanted me to play Rush of Blood with him. And certainly the the part of the game that I played had you on a broken down, uh, dangerous looking uh, ghost train in what seemed to be an abandoned old uh, theme park and it was night and you had stuff coming at you Uh, it was fully immersive Um, 360 degree uh, vision all round wherever you turned your head something could sneak up at you from behind even and he had me play that I, I think I took it further than you did I got to the 
clown house, right. and I couldn't get any further. Didn't I go into the clown house? Yeah, I, I couldn't. And, and you know, this is what Steve has his father play roughly about seven, eight months at the most after his father suffered a severe and acute heart attack. It was a bit of fun. <laughs> I, I, I just want to um, point out here that it's not that you couldn't get into the fun house, uh, the clown house, Steve. It was that you chose not to. They had clowns. Yeah. I still remember the hysteria when your mother took you to meet Ronald McDonald and you thought you were being punished. Tiff thought the same. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Moving on to clowns. Yes. See, see what I did there. A nice segue because now we're in our Hollywood gossip section. Okay. Right. I've heard a rumor that when Matt Reeves starts filming his Batman trilogy, that the Joker is going to be involved. And he will be played by Home Alone's Macaulay Culkin. Now, if you've seen Macaulay Culkin these days, he's got that sort of angular face. Yeah. I'm thinking he could pull it off. See, I thought he was a spectacular child actor. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. He had this haunted look in his eyes, and I thought it was, be- you know, it's because for about three years in a row, his parents left him home at Christmas while they went on holiday. They didn't notice he wasn't even there. But no, no, he actually does have this this haunted look in his eyes, I, and he could be a good Joker. I have seen him in. It was just a normal image that he took himself. Yeah. Of doing kind of like a Joker type smile. Yeah. He's the Joker. He just is. That's right. Um, I think that he could be a better Joker than Joaquin Phoenix because we've got this film coming out in October called The Joker. And I've seen the trailers and the story seems more tragic than super villainy now okay a sup- most super villains have some sort of tragic beginning their origin story makes you go ah you know poor dr doom that lab accident ah yeah. um, poor dr octopus you know the radiation fused those mechanical arms to it ah poor matt dillon he was up there on top of a electricity Pole when lightning struck him and he became elect. Oh, but the the origin in in the Joker movie seems weak. Yeah, it's like somebody dressed up in uh, clownish makeup got beaten up a lot and got psychotic. We know that the Joker became the Joker because he accidentally. Uh, fell into a vat of chemicals, Axis chemicals, while trying to get away from a robbery dressed as the Red Hood, pursued by Batman. That's what I want to see. See, a part of me with the Joker. Yeah. I don't really want an origin. I just don't want one. What, you mean the Joker just is? 
I'm happy with the killing joke and the origin they kind of did there. Yeah. That I can take. Well, that's that was actually built up from a story in the late 40s, The Mystery of the Red Mask. That is fine. Yeah. But this trying to find hidden meaning origins. And I, trying to justify how he is the way he is. And how is the Joker going to go on his psychotic out, you know, his psychotic um, rampages through Gotham? Yeah, if he's just a sad clown. Yeah, and don't you need the don't you need Batman there because isn't yeah, because responsible he, he for is, the drop. He is responsible for the job for the drop, and he is the Joker is that victim's reaction yeah. to Batman. They, Batman and Joker are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. They are closer than, than, than either one would like to admit. Now, I, because this Joker, from what we've seen in the trailer, seems to be just a guy having a bad day and he puts on some makeup. Yeah. Uh, I could be wrong. Maybe there is a drop into chemicals. We, we don't know. No. But I'm just going with what we've seen. Could that be a sort of half thought through origin story for the guy who would become Heath Ledger's Joker? It could be, but remember though that this Joker movie yeah. has nothing to do with the DC universe. This is going to be under DC's is it Black Universe? Oh, the Dark Universe or whatever whatever they call it. Yeah. It's basically from what I've gathered, kind of like an Elseworlds. Oh. So you know like you had Batman White Knight? Yeah. It's That's a that, graphic novel. Yeah, it's that universe. Yeah. Um I, I I honestly don't know. I'm I'm gonna see it, obviously. Yeah. I'm hoping to love it, obviously, because it's a Joker. Um but I don't know. Macaulay Culkin in the Batman as the Joker behind it all the way. Yeah. Joaquin Phoenix seemed like a good idea. I hope that what they do with it is good. I... Right, before you go any further, right? Instantly, top Joker, now. Jack Nicholson. Really? Yeah. Are you on about actors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, obviously, in that case, Mike Hamill doesn't count. No, no, no. I would say, for me, it'd be... It would have to be Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Because he brought... Although he was slightly... He wasn't angular enough to be the Joker. He was actually fat. Yeah. I liked what he did with the Joker. Okay. That he brought... He actually added parts to it. For example, never rub another man's yeah. rhubarb. Ever since his performance, the other live-action Jokers... They've been too muted. Yeah. And the only one other Joker that I really liked... Yeah. ...is Cesar Romero. See... My favourite Joker yeah. is still Cesar Romero. Sadly, it was played for laughs in yeah. 1966. But imagine Cesar Romero had he, with his imposing height, the, the manic eyes yeah. he put on, been playing it straight. Imagine, right, the killing joke... With Caesar Romero, a live action killing joke. I mean, even the fact that the 
they had white makeup over his trademark moustache, yeah. which he refused to shave off, worked. Not within the craziness of the series. You know, which other series can you imagine Batman and Robin running into Gotham, Gotham Library saying, have you seen any strangely dressed people yeah. in here today? Um, but it was it, it, it spoke of the character himself. Because the Joker, iconically, his origin is whatever he wants it to be on that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he said, you know, if I'm going to have an origin, I want it to be multiple choice. Yeah. Now, the other Hollywood rumour we have heard, and this seems to have been substantiated, is another remake of Black Christmas. We've got two versions. The last version was, for my money, a standard slasher pick done at Christmas. But I actually found the remake superior to the original. I saw the original when I was about 14, and it it really creeped me out. Yeah. I think I saw it actually at Christmas. Yeah. It was shown on BBC Two. And, you know, the voice on the phone and the fact that there were people, uh, murder victims upstairs, wrapped in plastic. And it certainly wasn't clear to me at that age what was happening. It all seemed a bit surreal and it kind of messed with my mind a little bit. I found, having seen that after seeing Halloween, that Black Christmas just was kind of weak. Yeah. Because once you've seen Michael Myers... It just doesn't have that same effect. No, no. But then, if you think about it, Michael Myers is the ultimate slasher. Yeah. More so than Jason Voorhees. Because Voorhees is just a zombie. And they all pay a debt, a huge debt, to Norman Bates. Yes. Because I actually credit not Halloween or Black Christmas for starting the slasher genre... I would actually credit it to Robert Block yeah. and Alfred Hitchcock way back in 1960. I would go as far as to say that the four Psycho movies yeah. is possibly the greatest, for strength of continuity, yeah. slasher series of all time. Ah. And on that note, we've been talking for 58 minutes and 42 seconds. I think it's about time that we said our farewells. So until next week, we will say keep watching the skies. And thank you for listening from me, Robin Pierce. And me, Stephen Pierce. We'll talk at you again next week.